Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. So uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And we're going we're gonna to do just a few verses. I know we're running a little long, a little late. And I'm uh, just going to do a few verses today. And then we're going to worship and come to the Lord's table. So Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 39 to 45. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. <clears throat> Luke writes and says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. You remember where we left off that Mary has encountered the angel Gabriel. She's, told, he's, she's been told that the Holy Spirit is going to cause her to conceive a child who will be king, who will sit on David's throne. And he also told her, hey, Elizabeth, your relative, might have been her cousin. She's six months pregnant. So Mary's making haste to go see Elizabeth. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Just a few thoughts about those verses and then we'll come to the Lord's table. I realize that not everyone in this room or watching online has or will have the experience of having a biological child. Uh, but I think we've all dreamed about it at least. We've all imagined what that would be like, even if we may not foresee that in our future. Mary and I were married seven and a half years before our firstborn son Thomas came along. And in those seven plus years, we did a lot of imagining. We did a lot of dreaming, had a lot of conversations of what it might be like, uh, a lot of conversations where we imagined changing our kids' diapers and putting them to sleep at night in their cribs. And we, we imagined all these little trappings of parenthood with you know, somewhat of a romanced, idealistic, and naive perspective, right? Because it's never as easy as you think it's going to be. Can I get an amen from the parents, right? So I, I remember that uh, we even imagined what pregnancy would be like. What would it be like for a child to grow in Mary's womb? And I rem I'll, I'll never forget the day. You know, Mary's a pretty chill, laid-back kind of person most of the time. But there was this one particular day. She, she, she was teaching school at the time, and I was home about four o'clock in the afternoon, she walked in the door, and I've never seen a look on her face like that before or since. An intensity that shocked me. She took one look at me. She didn't say, hey, how was your day? She looked at me and said, I've got to eat right now. <laughs> okay. So we got her some food and a pregnancy test. And sure enough, Thomas was on the way. 
And then comes like all the baby store shopping, all the, the baby showers, the building of cribs, the, the doctor's visits, the ultrasounds, the birthing classes. And then this just one night at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, Mary shot up in the bed like a jack-in-the-box, and it was time. And we knew it was time. And I'll, I'll never forget, several hours later, a doctor hands me a seven-pound and I don't know how many ounces, little boy, and he's mine. And now, all the dreaming, all the imagining, all the staring at an empty crib was over. It's reality. All the promises we had made to each other about what kind of parents we would be, now it's time to go live that out. We've got a child. He's ours. And as extraordinary as that felt for us, there's really something very normal about that, right? I mean, as beautiful and wonderful and glorious as, as, as having a child is for a married couple, it, it happens a lot. None of us would be here, right, if that hadn't happened. So it's, 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 there's something pretty normal about this extraordinary thing we call parenthood. Well, in, in, in our journey with Dr. Luke so far, we've met an old barren wife of a priest named Elizabeth. And we've met a virgin who's betrothed to a man named Joseph, named Mary. She's a teenager, probably 14, 15, 16 years old. There's nothing extraordinary about these women, but they've both had an extraordinary experience. Gabriel, I think there's only a couple of times in Scripture where an angel is named. Gabriel is dispatched from heaven to tell Elizabeth and Mary, you're going to have a son. And both of these boys are going to be special. One more so than the other. They're both going to be special. These ordinary women are having an extraordinary experience. And Mary, being told by Gabriel, hey, Elizabeth, your relative, is pregnant. She takes off. And, and listen, I want you to imagine, I've got a, a, a little girl who's about to turn 12. So add a couple of years to that. Imagining her pregnant is one thing. Imagining her traveling some 80 to 100 miles on foot, perhaps alone, over incredibly dangerous and rocky terrain to go visit Elizabeth, whom the angel has told her she's six months pregnant. This is what Mary does. She goes, and she goes to meet her relative Elizabeth. This is a huge moment, a significant moment massive moment. Now, here's what I know about women, okay, at the risk of sounding a little bit sexist and stereotypical. Ladies like to talk. Go ahead and say amen, ladies, because you know it's true. Your word quotient is way higher than us males. And when Mary gets on the phone with one of her friends, I am astounded. I'm flabbergasted at the number of words. She hasn't talked to somebody for a week, and it's like a second-by-second second playback of the last seven days with one of her friends, right? It's unbelievable. If ever two women had something to talk about, it was Mary and Elizabeth. They've both seen angels. We're pregnant for the first time. So you can imagine, the, ladies, it shouldn't be hard for you to put yourself in, in Mary or Elizabeth's shoes. The anticipation of getting together with Elizabeth and ha finding a comfy chair, making a pot of coffee, if they had that back then, and sitting down and going, let me tell you 
You can imagine the buildup, especially after an 80 to 100 mile journey on foot to see her. But Mary walks in the house. She sees Elizabeth and she greets her and the Holy Spirit takes over. John, the baptizer, the front runner of Jesus, is six months old in Mary's womb. And he leaps. Now, here's what we know. Babies jump, don't they? One of my favorite pastimes when Mary was pregnant, my son is squirmy. And I'm telling you, there were some nights in the middle of the night, you guys know I have trouble sleeping sometimes. I'd be awake watching Mary's belly move. It's like my son was in there wrestling a bear or something. <laughs> Babies leap. They jump. So you might think, well, this is not, it's not abnormal, but what did Luke told us about John the baptizer in Elizabeth's womb? He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So I want, you to, I want you to picture this with me, okay? And then I'm going to give a little parentheses to this sermon, and then we're going, to, we're going to wrap it up with kind of what I think is the main point. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed John the baptizer in Elizabeth's womb. I don't think John, when Mary walked in the house and greeted Elizabeth, I don't think John, six months old in the womb, went, Mary, the mother of Jesus, just walked in the house. Okay. Here's what I think Luke intends us to conclude is that the Holy Spirit, who is overshadowing, shepherding, just saturating the infant John in Elizabeth's womb, responded to the presence, get, this, get your head around this, responded to the presence of God the Son in Mary's womb, and he's probably in the peanut stage. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Jesus, the Son of God, is in the peanut stage. I mean, we know Jesus took on flesh without ceasing to be God. That's the essence of the incarnation. He's fully God and fully man. And I can sort of get my head around that when he's going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees in the temple as an adult. It's a little bit harder to imagine it when he's a, about a 12-year-old boy reasoning with the scribes in the temple when his, he got lost and separated from Mary as, a, as a, a preteen. Harder to imagine that when he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But in the peanut stage of the womb and the Holy Spirit responds to the presence of the second person of the triune God in Mary's womb. And John leaps. This is incredible. Now for my parentheses. This is not a sermon where I'm going to take off on a rant about abortion. But when Roe v. Wade was passed, we didn't have ultrasounds. We didn't have evidence of DNA. We didn't know all that stuff. There was was no empirical scientific evidence to prove that a baby in a mother's womb was not just a mass of cells, a blob in there that was lifeless and not distinct. Now we know. Now we know that from conception an infant has its own DNA. Now we know. We've got 4D ultrasounds where we can watch. And I watched my little girl in my wife's womb sucking her thumb. Now we have all this evidence. But the truth is we didn't need all of that scientific evidence. 
Sacred scripture confirms that something happened 2,000 years ago that says when, when babies are conceived, there's life happening. These are human beings, one of them fully man and fully God, responding to this encounter between. This is why Luke gave us this. This is incredible. God's redemptive plan is culminating in the wombs of an old lady and a virgin teenager. Is anybody else blown away by that but me? These are, these are incredible, incredible evidences. That listen, the, the, the argument has largely shifted away from trying to prove that a baby in a womb is not a human life to the rights of a woman to choose. Do you notice that Mary and Elizabeth's rights are not even mentioned in this text? Did you, did you notice that Gabriel didn't give either one of them an option? This is going to happen. See, where my rights end, yours begin. My rights end where yours begin, and vice versa. This is, this is not about human rights. This is not about the emphasis that Luke gives us is on the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb. For God to tell the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to research and find this detail. Not just to give us a case against abortion, but at the very least we can anchor to a text like this and go, life begins at conception. Abortion is not a political issue, it's a sin issue. Okay? And regardless of your political leanings, right, and other issues, if you've either participated in an abortion, encouraged someone to get one, or maybe you've been sucked into the narrative in our culture and in politics, let this text lead you to repentance. Let it lead you to ask God the Father for mercy and forgiveness that was paid for by the blood of, the, of God the Son who's in the peanut stage in Mary's womb at this point. And you can receive real forgiveness. Abortion's not unforgivable, but that doesn't mean we can't recognize the heinous sin that it is. Close parentheses. When Elizabeth, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I don't know how you react to seeing someone you dearly love that you haven't seen in a long time. You know, Mary was at her mom's the majority of this week, and when she got home on Friday, I said, Hey! A little bit louder than normal, because I missed her. And you've seen the videos, right? Servicemen and women come home and surprise their spouses or their kids after a long tour of duty, and there's such elation and shouts even. Luke goes out of his way to describe Elizabeth as shouting, hollering, as we like to say in the South. The word's translated loud, and it's the same Greek word 
that Gabriel said to Mary when he said, The child in your womb will be great. It means large and great in the widest sense. This is Elizabeth screaming at the top of her lungs. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What is this that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's no, Luke gives us no evidence that Elizabeth knew that Mary was pregnant, much less pregnant with the Son of God. I see no reason in the text to conclude that Elizabeth has found out what's going on with Mary by natural means. Mary's not even showing. This is praise and prophecy that is erupting out of Elizabeth who's been filled with the Holy Spirit in a normal, ordinary greeting of two pregnant ladies who are related. The Holy Spirit causes Elizabeth to prophesy. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And who, what is this that the mother of my Lord, it's the word master. I don't think Elizabeth was thinking in her mind, all right, in her womb is Jesus, the Son of God, who's going to die for the sins of the world and be raised on the third day and ascend into heaven and return one day in glory and power. I don't think she's got her head around all of that. She just knows that the child in Mary's womb is in some way or another Lord over her. And that's revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. I can't help but think about the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 right here. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, look at this, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, is praising and prophesying through Elizabeth. Blessed is your womb. The fruit of your womb. The mother of my Lord has walked in the room. And to think, this is going to be a major emphasis throughout this gospel. Is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we need to watch for it. And we need to pay attention to it. Because the same Holy Spirit lives in us. The same Holy Spirit has filled all of us. If you are a born-again Christian, if you, are, if you recognize Jesus as Lord, if you have been brought from death to life, if your heart of stone has been taken out and a heart of flesh has been put in, this is, the, this is the reality. This is the truth. You are a temple of God the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb will soon declare when he comes of age, I baptize you with water. But there's one coming after me 
He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And his name is Jesus. If you call on him as Lord, guess what? You are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I read texts like this, and I find in myself a desperation coming to the surface, arising and growing. Holy Spirit, help me lean into what you're doing. Let me be a vessel like Elizabeth. Let me recognize the extraordinary things that God's doing in these little ordinary moments of my life. On Monday night, the elders and our wives, we got together for a meal. And Jonathan Curzon cooked it, and it was just ridiculously good. It was so good. Um, but the, the goal was to just have sort of a last two raw with the elders, with with Pastor Keith and Carrie. And we sat down and we ate, and man, we shared stories, some of which, you know, I, I, I shared the story about going on a ride along with Keith as a police officer and, you know, trying to catch me riding dirty. Every time he pulls somebody over, like, I, that's what I did. Um, <laughs> so we just told story after story after story. We laughed, and then we cried. And we told stories about the great things that God had done in our friendship and our partnership with them. And then we prayed and each, each elder and his wife came and laid hands on Keith and we each took time to just, oh, Keith and Carrie, and we each took time to just pray over them. And I, Mary and I went last and I just, I just sat there and listened to these prayers. And I, and I listened as we talked, and I started thinking, as we were praying, I was thinking back to our conversation from, from that evening, and then Mary and I's turn came, and Mary started to pray over them. I had this overwhelming sense. Not that it's nowhere near as significant as Elizabeth and Mary meeting up, John the Baptist and the Son of God, right? But I had this overwhelming sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, yes, this is right. This is good. And I looked around at my fellow elders, and I looked at Keith and Carrie, who were about to go plant a, a new church, and I just I started to realize, look, we're, we're all part of this same redemptive plan. I'm never going to play as significant a role as Mary, or John the Baptist, or even the Apostle Paul, but I got a part. And you have a part, and we have the Holy Spirit, and there are these moments in time, not just the big ones and the transitions and the moments that make us cry and laugh hard, but to realize that God, the Holy Spirit, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, the sons of God, and that includes the daughters, are led by the Spirit. Let's never diminish those little moments with our kids, with our spouse. And with our friends. Let's not diminish moments like this where we as God's people come together and we come to his table. And we declare his death. And his resurrection. And his return. As sojourners. Exiles. Strangers. Aliens now in the world. Who though 
We're together for a while and sometimes we part ways and God has different assignments for us. We're all looking for home. And along the way, the Holy Spirit's working. He's working and he's saying, yes. Yes, amen. God be praised. Blessings on you, Keith and Carrie. Blessings on you, Res Church. Blessings on you, Margaret, Pamela, Mark, Zach, Jonathan. Blessings. Blessings on what the Lord is doing in your life, through your life. That's what unites us. A people of the Spirit. So as the praise team comes, we're going we're gonna to sing about O Holy Night. The night that Christ was born. We're going to celebrate that. So why don't you go ahead and stand with me. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to rejoice the birth of our Savior. Then Keith is going to come and lead us in communion. And then we're going to sing a new song. And I'll let Keith tell you about it. But we're going to sing a new song that's going to, as we take communion, it's going to point us home. Okay? So let me pray. Lord, we... Um, Thank you for this text. Thank you for this encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. Lord, you did not have to give us that detail. You did not have to lead Luke and inspire Luke to write about this little moment that was so huge. And yet you did. And what we see is the marvelous, mind-boggling work of our sovereign God. And the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in people just like us. What power, what glory, what wisdom, what strength, what great things you have done and are doing. Let us perceive it. Let us see it and savor it. In Jesus' name. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message. And we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.